In my neighborhood, maybe this is true in your neighborhood, uh, in my neighborhood there's a, a lot of construction that is happening. Uh, there's a lot of new houses that are being built or, or old houses that are maybe kind of torn down and then a new house being built. And it's, you kind of see it go in stages. It starts off just as a piece of dirt and they dig deep in the ground and you don't necessarily, I mean, you know what's going on, but it doesn't look like a house. It just looks like dirt. Then they begin to lay a foundation and you start to see some of the pieces coming together. You start to see some of the metal stick. I don't know anything about this, okay? So I'm a little bit talking out of my um, expertise here. But you see metal things. Uh, I was going to say it's rhubarb, but it's not rhubarb. That's a vegetable. It's rebarb, maybe, something like that. You don't want a rebarb pie. Um, and it, you start to see a foundation that's there. And then a little bit later, maybe you begin to see some walls that, I know that's fast. For some of you, if you've ever built something, you're like, wow, I wish it went that quick. Uh, you start to see some walls that begin to go up. Then you start to see some of the siding that goes up and some of the white stuff that goes up. And, and you uh, start to see, okay, piece by piece, a house is being built. Piece by piece, something is coming together. It doesn't all happen at once, but piece by piece, over time, there's a house being built. And life is like that. Life is like that. Whether we know it or not, each day is another hammer swing. Each day is another thing that happens where we are building something over time. Every single day of our life, we are doing the things that lead to the life that we are building every single day. And it doesn't happen all at once. It starts maybe as dirt, then metal, then walls. But every single day, what you are doing is contributing to where you will be five years from now. What you are doing today, one swing at a time, is what will happen later in your finances. It's what will happen later in your marriage. It's what will happen later with your family. It's what will happen later in your friendships. It's what will happen later in your faith every single day. The things that you are doing, the habits that you are creating, one step at a time, it leads to where you will be five years from now. That is how a house is. It's how life is. And you might have a vision for that. You might have a vision for your life where you say, this is where I'm hoping to go, this is where I'm hoping that my relationships, my faith, my marriage, this is where I'm hoping that it gets to. You might kind of see that clearly and know and, and work on it and focus on it and prioritize and make plans and save money, and you might kind of have a vision. And it feels good when you focus, and then over time you see that realized. That feels good. Some of you have focused on something and really kind of disciplined yourself and prioritized things and have been able to see over time that vision accomplished. You look back and you go, man, I've, I've got really healthy friendships. You look back and you see that your faith is more robust and stronger than it was before. You look back and see you were able to save and purchase a house or start a business or whatever it might be. You say, okay, I was able to focus and you see the results of that. And it feels Good, we like to have a life that is focused, but distraction is easy, right? Isn't it easy to get distracted? To sometimes just not live with focus at all, to just kind of coast and wake up five years later and say, okay, I guess this is the life I have, not because it was intentional, but because we just kind of coasted and ended up somewhere. Sometimes we just get off track. We have focus, we have priorities, but it's easy to get off track for other 
things. And we end up one swing at a time somewhere we didn't intend to be. You end up somewhere that you say, this isn't what I wanted my faith to be like. This isn't what I wanted my marriage to be like. This isn't what I thought that uh, it was supposed to be like with God. This isn't what I thought I would be financially or in my health. We, we just kind of end up, though, one swing at a time somewhere that we didn't necessarily intend to be. And oftentimes, we need to rebuild. Oftentimes, we need to take stock of our life and rebuild what has gotten off track. Either it's been built into something it shouldn't be or it hasn't been built really at all. And oftentimes, we need to rebuild. We need to actually look at where life is and say, okay, I need to rebuild my marriage, my faith, my friendship, whatever it might be. So today, we're going to talk about how do we have the right focus in life, or how do we get back on track to have the focus that we should have? And we're starting a new series today. We're looking at the book of Haggai. Uh, last time we looked at the book of Zephaniah, which is um, a, one of the prophetic books, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Today we're looking at Haggai. So if you've maybe even been in church your whole life and you're like, I never even knew Zephaniah existed. I never knew Haggai existed. I heard a pastor say uh, this week, he was talking about Haggai and he said, I need to preach from obscure books of the Bible so that when you die and go to heaven and you meet Haggai and he's like, did you like my book? That you're not like, uh, you wrote a book? And that you actually know these people, you know? So I'm happy. That's not the real reason we're preaching Haggai, but I'm happy to help expose us to Zephaniah, to Haggai, to some of these books that maybe are less common. This is one of the uh, shortest books that we have in the Bible, and yet a powerful word that helps us to understand what it looks like to have the focus that God intends for us, to rebuild when we've gotten off track or off focus. So we're going to look at God's call to rebuild our lives and our focus throughout the next four weeks. We'll start with this. What is it and that keeps us from living with the right focus. What is it that keeps us from that? Because it's easy to get off track. It's easy to be building something but not have the right focus. What keeps us from that? And I'm just going to read this first verse and then kind of give you a little bit of the context of what Haggai is speaking into. But here's the, the first verse. He says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. If you are a hipster and need baby names, this is, you, this is all you need. Who cares about all these common names, Zerubbabel? Why isn't anyone naming their kids Zerubbabel? I don't know. This is the first verse, and this is just kind of setting up, and I want to just give you a little bit of background of what Haggai is speaking into. When we read the book of Zephaniah, if you were here, what Zephaniah prophesied was this. Zephaniah prophesied that destruction was going to come to God's people, to the city of Judah. Destruction was going to come. He said that God was going to bring judgment and that it would be over. And that happened. Eventually, after Zephaniah prophesied, so this is kind of the sequel to Zephaniah, eventually what happened within a handful of decades... Judah was burned to the ground. The temple was completely destroyed and God's people were taken into exile in Babylon. So their stuff, 
their homes, the temple where God's presence is, totally destroyed, and now they're in a, in a foreign land, in another place, in exile, in Babylon. That's exactly what God said was going to happen. Now, I'm fast-forwarding, but 50 years later, after they are exiled, they're exiled in the year 586 B.C., 50 years later, Babylon is no longer the superpower. Babylon's no longer the superpower. Persia is the new superpower. Persia, if you ever saw the movie 300, I'm not, this is not an endorsement, but if you ever saw the movie 300, the, the big bad villain in it is Artaxerxes, who's a real person. He was the Persian king, the Persian em, uh, emperor, and he, they take over Babylon. So this is 50 years after they've been in exile. Artaxerxes, Persia, they rule, and then what happens is they decide to release the Israelites to go back to their home. That's what they decide. Not that they're free, it's Persia still rules the whole empire, but they're no longer going to live there in that land. They release them. About 50, some people don't leave. Some people got really comfortable. Some people enjoyed their life there. They probably even adopted the religious practices of that land. They began to just kind of blend in and live their life. They didn't really care anymore. But 50,000 of them return. God calls them to rebuild the temple. And miraculously, God provides for them. God calls them to build the temple, and there's all of these things that come together that allow them to build, to start rebuilding the temple. And they lay the foundation of the temple. Let me, let me show you this. Haggai, uh, if you've ever read the book of Ezra, which is a little bit longer book in the Old Testament, Haggai is a contemporary with Ezra. And so here's what Ezra says about this situation, just some selections from this. It says, all their neighbors supported them with silver articles, silver articles, not articles like blogs, silver articles, gold, goods, livestock, and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a free will offering. King Cyrus also brought out all, all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, that's the Babylonian ruler, had taken from Jerusalem and had placed in the house of his gods. So the evil empire is actually giving them money and saying, all this stuff that we took previously from your temple, we're giving it back to you. It's amazing. God's provision. God shows up. He does this miraculous work. Ezra 3, they sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. For he is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. This is right after they lay the foundation of the temple. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. So they are celebrating. God has shown up and done this miraculous work. He's freed them, sends them back to their home, provided for them financially. They build the foundation. They're celebrating. They're singing. Maybe you have experienced some times like that in your life. God has showed up. He's done amazing things. He's provided for you where you thought it maybe was impossible for him to provide. He provided for your friendships, your relationships, your marriage. He provided for you financially. He came through and you sang and you celebrated and you thought, wow, God is good. His faithful love endures forever. You, you were so thankful. And then about 16 years go by and they still haven't built the temple. They laid the foundation God provided, and now it's been 16 years, and nothing has changed from that moment. What kept them from living with focus? Let's read the next part of what Haggai says. The Lord of armies says this, 
These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses? This just means nice, fancy. While this house lies in ruins. Now the Lord of armies says this. Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of armies says this. Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills. Bring down lumber and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields on people and animals and on all that your hands produce. What kept them, what keeps us from living with right focus? What's interesting about this is they didn't disagree that the temple should be built. They didn't disagree. If you ask them, should the temple be rebuilt, they would say, yes, of course it should be rebuilt. But they would say, the time has not come. See, that's agreement. That's saying, yes, we are going to do it. The temple should be rebuilt. The temple will be rebuilt. But the time has not come. Not Yet, think about that. Think about that in your life, where there are things that you agree with that would be good to focus on. There are things that you agree with are good ideas in your faith. There are things that you say, yes, I agree on a Sunday. Yes, I agree in community group, in your life transformation group. You say, I agree with those things. And, and in fact, I will do them. But not yet. The time has not yet come. We get into this trap all the time. We think it would be a good idea to read our Bible more regularly, but not yet. We think it would be a good idea to work on our marriage, and we know there's certain areas that need development, but not yet. We know that we should disciple our kids and train them and help them to know God and read with them good books that develop their faith, but not yet. We know that God wants us to serve and to be involved in his church, and we will, but not yet. We know we should give, but not yet. We know we should begin to live a life that helps others come to know him, but not yet. There's all sorts of things that we agree with, right? We say, I agree with this. I know it's good, but the time is not yet come. I don't know where you might be saying that in your life. It can be all sorts of different things. I gave you some examples. But if you think about them, they lay the foundation, they celebrate, they sing to God. When that was done, they didn't say, all right, we'll get started after this 16 years from now. They didn't say that. What happened? One swing at a time. One swing at a time, they begin doing other things. One swing at a time, other things got in the way. And then 16 years later, Here's where they are. The same is true in our lives. 
There's all sorts of things that we agree with, that we believe, but one day at a time, we're actually ending up somewhere else. Listen, the sin of good intentions is one of the key things that will keep you from the focused life that God has for you. The sin of good intentions. I agree, I'll do it. It's a good idea. It will happen. The sin of good intentions is one of the key things that will keep you from faithfulness in the things that God has for you today. It's one of the key things that will keep you from the focus that God desires for us. And this is actually very easy to do. It's easy because normally, normally there's a lot of difficulty any time that we set out to follow God. Normally, if you say, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to focus my life on him. If you say that, and not just say it, but if you say, I'm going to, I am going to, and here I go, I'm following him, I'm focusing on him, I'm prioritizing him, I'm building in my life the things he's called me to build, I'm focusing on the things that he has called me to focus on in my faith, in my friendships, in my relationships, in my church, I'm, I'm focusing. Normally, difficulty is going to happen. It's usually not just an easy road. Here's what happened to them. They lay the foundation, and then back to Ezra, it says this. Then, after they lay the foundation, then the people who are already in the land discouraged the people of Judah, made them afraid to build. They also bribed officials to act against them to frustrate their plans. A little bit further. The people who were already in the land wrote an accusation against the residents of Judah and Jerusalem. So they discouraged them. They, they bribe officials to stop them. They write accusations. They slander them to the government. And then, even on top of that, because of that accusation, the king issues an order for these men to stop so that the city will not be rebuilt until a further decree has been pronounced by me. So the king actually legally gets involved and issues an order. They immediately went to the Jews in Jerusalem and forcibly stopped them. So we might look at, they're laying a foundation, they celebrate, wow, that's awesome, and now it's been 16 years and they haven't done anything? But what would you do? Forcibly stopped? Legal action? Discouragement from the people around you? False accusations? What would you do in that scenario? God had told them to rebuild. But that's a lot of stuff that they're up against, right? That's a lot of stuff that they're up against. And so what often keeps us from living with right focus is we have good intentions to do something. We desire to do something. We agree to do something. But difficulty happens. Difficulty comes in the way. There are probably things in your life where you said, I want to follow God. I want to focus on God. And then something difficult took place. You wanted to read the Bible, you wanted to give, you wanted to serve, you wanted to work on your marriage, you wanted to confess, you wanted to stop certain sins in your life, you decided you were going to focus, and then difficulty happened. They faced a tidal wave of difficulty. Most times that we decide to focus on God, difficulty will be standing right there waiting. Financial difficulty Having kids that makes things more difficult, busyness, time, your schedule, 
work things ramp up. Maybe it's relational difficulty, the people around you discouraging you. It could be all sorts of things. We want to focus on God. We want to focus on what he has for us. We have good intentions, but difficulty often gets in the way. And underneath all of that, underneath all of that, of why they don't pursue the good intentions they have, of why difficulty allows them to stop, what we see is that really what's going on is there's other priorities that they have. Other priorities that they have that means these focuses and these priorities weren't as foundational as they should have been. Here's what God says to them. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? My house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. He's saying this, they're busy, right? They're busy. They're doing stuff. They're building stuff. They're focusing on stuff. In other parts, it said they're planting, they're watering, they're doing the hard work. They are living actually a focused life. They're busy building, but they're busy building their own things. God's house lies in ruins. They're planting, building, and busy, but not with the things that God has called them to. That can be the same for us, right? The same thing can happen in our life, where we are kept from living with right focus, because even though we have good intentions, it's difficult to focus on the things that God has called us to, so our lives begin to rearrange around the priorities that we want priorities that we have. Where's your time going? Where's your emotional energy going? Where's your thoughts and your plans going? Where's your finances going? A lot of times we're busy. We're building. But a lot of times it's not with the priorities that God has given to us. And we lose the focus he wants for us when we don't prioritize him. We lose the focus that he has for us when we're not actually having him as first. You can never have the right focus that God wants for you if he's got the leftovers. I heard another pastor use an illustration that I found helpful and it's true in my marriage as well that a lot of times when we um, will go out to eat, we'll order one thing and, and share it. And that's just because a lot of times there's giant portions that they serve and because I like to save money. So we might order just one thing. But the way that we do that is not uh, I kind of just eat whatever I want to eat. And then when I'm done eating, say, here you go, wife, Sarah, you have what's left. What happens is at the very beginning, we split it off and say, here's yours, here's mine. She, my wife actually even gets, because I'll like count the potatoes, you know, or whatever it is. Maybe that's because I grew up with a brother and my mom always had to split everything evenly, but I'm, I like count. And she's like, you're bigger than me. You know, it's got to be even, you know. <laughs> but I don't just grab the plate and eat whatever I want while she's waiting. And then I go, okay, here you go. Because that would be giving the leftover. And there's usually, I'm probably going to eat the whole thing. I'm probably going to eat the whole thing. That's part of why I actually don't sometimes like uh, share, not dividing and sharing things. She's more like, let's just eat from the same dish. No, because I know I'll eat the whole thing. Sometimes that's what our life is like with God, though. 
we live our life, we use our time, we use our money, we use our energy, we use our thoughts, we use our plans, we use our emotions, we use our day, we use our years, we use our free time, we use everything, and then we go, okay, now what do I have left to give to God? There's usually not anything left, or there's usually very little left. That, that's what they were doing. God had called them to build the temple, and they said, I, I'm, I agree, I will, we'll build the temple, but the time has not yet come because we're busy. I've got to build my house first. I've got to spend money on my house first. I've got to panel the walls in my house first. I've got to put my energy here first, and then we will do that. And 16 years go by. And this is harder. No one was opposing them for building their own houses. No one was discouraging them from building their own houses. But the things that God calls us to, often there's more difficulty, maybe more discouragement, maybe more challenging, maybe more sacrificial. God has given every single one of us enough enough time, enough money, enough gifts, enough skills, enough energy to do everything that he's called us to do. He's given you enough. He's given you absolutely enough to do what he's called you to do, but not if he comes second, third, fourth, fifth, somewhere down the line. He's given us enough to build our life focused on him. <clears throat> So what keeps us from living with the right focus? Often it's not these overt sins, but distraction, good intentions, and difficulty with underneath all of that other priorities that we have. And that's not what God wants for you. God doesn't, how sad would it be if we are building our life one swing at a time, back to the house analogy, and we're not really building the thing that God intends for us to build? How sad would it be if you live a very successful life and you've built all sorts of things and you've put all your money and time and energy and all sorts of things and God says, that's not what I had for you at all. You've built your own houses, but my house lies in ruins. So, what does it take to live with the right focus? What does it take to have every hammer swing of life be intentional and actually building the thing that God wants for us? Because it's easy to get off course and we often have to rebuild. Haggai is speaking to them, not at the beginning. He's speaking to them 16 years later when it's gotten off course. So even if you look at your life and feel like it's gotten off course and I have to rebuild, it's not too late. It might have only been a few weeks that you're off course or a year or two years that you're off course or maybe it's been 16 years. What does it take to live with the right focus? And there's two key things from this passage. The first is that we need to think carefully. That's what God says. Think carefully about your ways. Think carefully about your ways. Two times in this passage and then later in the book, Five times. It's one of the main themes of this short little two-chapter book that God is saying, I want you to think carefully. I want you to assess what's going on. I want you to be reflective. And it's not even just that he says, think carefully. He also asks a lot of questions. Think up here when he says, is it a time 
for you to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Questions invite reflection. And down here, he says, why? Why do you think this is happening? He's inviting us to reflect. God wants us to think. So many times we're busy, and we're not really living reflective lives. We're doing things, doing things. We're distracted. We're on our phones. We've got to attend to this emergency and work on this thing. And we go from kind of sun up to sundown, either working or Netflixing and then sleeping. And it's hard to sometimes pause. That's part of why Sunday is a helpful time to say, man, so you probably don't do this most of your life where you just sit for a moment and listen and reflect. So much of our life is just go, 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 go. And God says, you want to focus your life? You need to take some time to think carefully. Not just think, but to think carefully. To actually assess. To actually reflect. And there's two different things he says to reflect on here. The first thing is he asks the question, is it right? Look, look how it is in a question. Is it time? Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, we have to, this is different. You're not building a temple. You might have paneled houses, but you're not building a temple. But it's still an important question that we need to ask, to say, is it right? Is it right to be putting all the energy into, let's just start with what he says, to building your home? Is it right to be putting all the energy into building your career? Is it right to be putting all the energy into your hobbies? Is it right? To be putting all the energy, I mean, you know, the list could keep going. Is it right to be putting all the energy and time and plans and thoughts and money into that when God has other priorities and focuses that he's called you to? When this says, well, while his house lies in ruins. Is it right to be doing all that we put energy into when God has called us to help other people come to know him? When God has called us to be involved and invested in his church. When God has called us to various specific things that I don't know of in your life. Is it right to put our energy and our time into those things? Think carefully. And then the second thing that he tells us to think carefully about is the results of living like this. You've planted much, harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You expected much, it amounted to little. Why? Why do you think that is? Think carefully about the results of how you've lived. Now listen, this is not always how it goes, okay? Let me just say that. It's not always how it goes. It's not always kind of a one-for-one one that if you disobey God or you don't focus on what God has for you, then life doesn't go well. That's not true. Jesus lived a perfect life, and that ended on the cross. And there's all sorts of places in the Bible. Job is another example. All sorts of places in the Bible. I've talked about this many times, where as Christians, we should expect that we will experience suffering. So it's not one for one, love God, follow God, focus on God, everything goes awesome, disobey God, everything crumbles. That's not true. The wicked often prosper. The Psalms tells us that. But it's also true 
that many times this does happen. Many times the things that we are putting energy and investment into, God may frustrate. God may intentionally block and stop because of his loving, fatherly discipline of us. That's what happens here. They're harvesting, they're putting tons of work into their gardens and harvesting their, their livelihood, not just their little private gardens, but their agricultural society, and little happens. He says the wage earner puts money into the, into the, 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 uh, the bag, and there's a hole in it. Meaning no matter how much that they try, no matter how much that they do, no matter how much that they work, it's never enough and they're never satisfied. We might expect much, but it amounts to little. And so he says, think carefully. And I'll just ask you the same thing about your ways. Have your efforts been frustrated? Does it feel like this? Does it feel like The things that you're trying to work on, the things that you're trying to build, the things that you're trying to pursue never quite work out, never give the return on investment that you thought they were going to produce, that you have high expectations, but it amounts to little. Does that happen? Think carefully. Maybe, maybe that is God's way of saying you're focusing on the wrong things. Maybe that's God's kindness in saying, you're going the wrong way and I want you to go this way. You're building something that isn't what I have for you. Maybe that's God's kindness in trying to help you refocus, rebuild on what he's actually called you to. Maybe it's not even just that things aren't working out, but it's that they're emotionally unsatisfying. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. Maybe life, you actually are working and it gets you what you want, but it doesn't satisfy the way you thought it would. It doesn't fill you the way you thought it would. You pursue all the things. You pursue the house and the career and the relationship and the hobbies and and yet still feel unsatisfied. He says, think carefully. Maybe that's what's going on. So if if we want to live with the right focus, the first thing that we have to do is think carefully. God wants us to have this space to just say, okay. And I'm actually just going to even stop talking. I know that's rare. But for just a, a handful of seconds, that's all I can spare, just to have you think for a moment. Maybe you can think while I was talking, but I'm just going to pause for a second and just... Let's just try to do what he even said right there. Think carefully. Is it true that maybe God has frustrated your ways? Do you have things that have been successful but are actually emotionally unsatisfying? Second thing that he says of what it takes to live with right focus is that we are to obey. He says, very simply, go up into the hills, bring down lumber, build the house. Very simple. The application is very simple. He, he kind of calls them out. He shows them. He tells them to think carefully. And then it's, okay, so what, what are we supposed to do? And it's very simple. It's a three-step instructions. Go into the hills, bring down the lumber, 
Build the house. There you go. There's your three-step plan of what you do now. How do we rebuild? Where, where, where do we go from here? And it's very simple. I love the simplicity of it. And listen, so many times when we, when we think about what does it take to live with right focus, we actually don't think about the simplicity of what God calls us to. It might be that we, that we instead of obeying, agree. Again, more good intentions. We go, yeah, we should live with right focus, but no concrete action. It might be that we feel really bad and feel remorseful. Go, yeah, I haven't been living with right focus, and God, forgive me. And, and we might confess and feel just kind of bad, but we still don't actually obey and do the things that God has called us to do. Sometimes it, it might not be that we agree or confess or have remorse. We just pray about things. Now listen, I pray, 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 pray. But sometimes instead of actually, he didn't say here, okay, pray that the temple gets built. Pray that you would change. He says, obey. Go do what I've called you to do. Sometimes it is that concrete, that simple. It's Go up into the hills, get the lumber, go to Home Depot, build the temple. It's that simple. It's easy. Concrete action. I don't know what that is for you. But to live with right focus takes reflection about our ways. Think carefully. And then it takes action. It takes doing the thing that God has called us to do. Which could be a variety. It's For us, God isn't calling us to go build a temple, right? He's not calling us to go get lumber and build the temple. But he is calling us, as Jesus says, to seek his kingdom first, above anything else. To seek first the kingdom of God. That is what we are called to do. Jesus came to this earth, and he called himself the temple. We no longer have a temple where we worship God. The temple was the place that God's presence dwelt on earth. When Jesus came, he said, I'm the temple. I am the place where God meets man. I am the place you come to experience God's presence. I am the place that you come to experience all that God is for you and to you, where the sacrifices are made, where you experience his goodness and his glory, and you're reminded, it's me, Jesus said. And then when Jesus dies, he sends his spirit and he fills the church, and the church is now the body of Christ. We are the temple, not this building, but we, the people, God's church, are his temple. And that is why, though we are not called to go get lumber and build a building, we are called to seek his kingdom, to be a part of his purposes in and for and through his people. That is what our calling is. That is what we are called to do. And so I don't know what it means for you to do the simple obedience instead of just thinking or feeling bad or praying. But God is calling you. God is calling you to seek first his kingdom. To have your focus be on him. I don't know what that simple action is, but it is often very concrete, and we often avoid the very concrete. We feel things, think things, but don't actually do the things that God has called us to do. To serve, to give, to confess, to develop a friendship, to serve somebody in need. They're often very concrete actions that God says, do what I've called you to do. Be about what I've called you to be about. Maybe it's as simple as setting an alarm so you can spend time with God. I, I don't know, but often it's very concrete actions instead of just, I need to think about this more. I need to 
pray about this more. I need to feel bad about this more. God wants us to realign our priorities and give us something better with him as the focus. Finally, how does God lead us to this right focus? What keeps us from our right focus is good intentions and other priorities that we're focused on, especially because of the difficulty of focusing on what God calls us to. How we, what it takes to live with the right focus is this reflection and then action. And what is God doing to lead us? How did this get created for them and for us? Read the last part of Haggai, or the last part of this chapter. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. This is how God leads us to the right focus he has for us. It's interesting that Haggai is one of maybe one or two of the prophets in the Old Testament where the people actually obey. Most of the time you hear the message from the prophets, like Zephaniah that we looked at, and God's calling them to something, saying, here's what you need to do, here's what's going to happen if you don't. And most of the time they go, eh, it'll probably be okay. And then it's not. Haggai is one of the few where he says, here's what God's calling you to do, and they go, all right, let's do it. Haggai was probably like, what? Are you sure? That's not, that's not what I thought that was going to happen. And they actually obey. They actually listen. How does God lead us to the right focus? Listen, oftentimes we are blind. We're stuck in our, our actions, in our lives. We're stuck living without the focus that he has. And we don't know how to get out. We don't know the way to live. We don't know what the right focus is. We don't know what the right thing to do is. We don't know the things that we should be focusing on. And sometimes what we do is say, I really need to pray about this. Again, I'm not against prayer, but I want you to see what he is saying here. A lot of times that becomes an excuse. A lot of times I'm going to pray about something becomes a, a synonym for how do I feel about this? How do I feel about this? And the things that God calls us to, instead of being objective, become very subjective. They just become, what do I think about things? How do I feel about things? And then we actually build our life wrongly. And instead, the way that God leads us to the right focus is by speaking his word into our life. That's how he leads us. You want to live with right focus the way that God leads us is by saying, you need to hear my voice. Now, I'm not going to read this whole thing, and as soon as I put this on here, you're going to go, oh, it's going to hurt your eyes. But this is the whole chapter. 
And the reason I just put that on there is so you can see in yellow how many times it says the word of the Lord or the Lord says this or this is the declaration or the messenger of the Lord or the message to the people because what created the change or how God led them to experience the right focus wasn't everybody go sit over here and pray and think about how you feel. It was you need my word in your life. You need my voice in your life. You need my voice so that you know how to live with right focus. God leads us to right focus through his word speaking to us. That's how he leads us there. The way that you will live with the focus that God has for you is by listening to his word. Oftentimes, like through Haggai, it's through the word being preached. It's through a messenger that God sends to bring us his word so we can hear it and listen to it. And obey it. God is gracious and doesn't leave us to be blind walking around in the dark. He wants to speak to us. He wants to guide us. He wants us to hear his word. He doesn't, listen, I love this too. 16 years of them disobeying. How easy would it be to just go, okay, clearly you don't get it. And walk away. But God speaks. And it doesn't matter how long you've gone in one direction. God speaks. God speaks and wants his word to bring you back, to lead you to the right focus. That's, that's the first thing. Second thing is God leads us to the right focus as we remember him. We will never build the life that he wants for us or have the right focus if we forget who he is. Soon as we forget who God is, we stop focusing on what God wants. As soon as we forget him, then we begin living in other directions and in other ways with other priorities. Remember, they laid the foundation and they sang, God is so awesome, God is so faithful. Difficulty comes in, they crumble. As soon as we forget who God is, we forget what it means to be faithful. We forget what it looks like to live with Focus. Over and over and over again in the book of Haggai, it talks about God like this. And this isn't the only thing that God is, but it, it uses this title, the Lord of Armies. God prefaces his whole instruction to them with this. Here's what the Lord of Armies says. Saying, here's who I am. Sometimes it's rare that I talk like this. I never call myself the Lord of armies, but it's rare that I say something like this. But sometimes I say, listen, as your father or to my wife, as your husband, or sometimes as your pastor, when you preface who you are with some sort of title, you're meaning something by that title. You're trying to root the words that you're saying in, in that title of what your character is. So when over and over and over again, God says, the Lord of armies says this, he's meaning something. And there could be all sorts of things that is built into that definition of why he prefaces it. But at least there's a couple things. One, it means he's the leader. To say the Lord of armies means the, the captain, the commander of legions, right? So it's to say, I'm, I'm the leader here. Thus, if the Lord of armies, if the captain, if the commander, if the king is speaking, it means we are to follow and obey. He's prefacing, reminding them, I'm the leader. You belong to me. 
You're not just independently living your own life, determining your own focus, figuring out what it is that you want to do. If we understand and remember that he is the Lord of armies, what that should do is create a posture in us of surrender to say, okay, you are the one in charge. You are the one that directs. If God were to come to you and say, as your father, he's beginning to root in his tenderness, in his affection for us. So that's prefacing what's going to come if he would say, I want you to know I love you. But when he says, I'm the Lord of armies, that's reminding us, okay, yeah, my life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. You're in charge. It's your priorities. It's your house. And it means if he's the Lord of armies, it means he's got power. It means he's got power. If he's the Lord of armies, that means that nothing can get in his way. It means whatever difficulty has kept us off track from the focus that he wants for us doesn't rule us. It means that whatever obstacle has been put in our way doesn't actually stand there if the Lord of armies is the one telling us, commanding us, leading us. Because so often we look at the difficulty. We look at the things that are too hard. And to remind us that he's the Lord of armies is to say, you can trust me. I win battles. Nothing's too big for me. When I call you to something, nothing is too big for me to get you to that place. Follow me. I've got the power. He's the Lord of armies. See, we have to remember who he is, which is why it ended with them fearing the Lord, which doesn't mean being terrified of him, but it's really the Old Testament's version of having faith. It's this synonym for trust and reverence and reliance on him. They're reminded who he is and their response is, okay, we trust you. And then the final piece of how God leads us with right focus is this little word here. It says, the Lord roused the spirit of all these people of Zerubbabel, of the high priest, and of all the remnant of the people. So from the leaders to all the remnant. The Lord roused the spirit. It's never just our own energy. God wants us to live with focus, and it can be difficult, it can be hard, but we're never just left by ourselves. He is working within us to create the motivation and the passion and the desire and the discipline to do what he's called us to do. When we turn to him, he rouses us and actually gives us the energy to do what he's called us to do. The Lord roused the spirit. And that's really the same thing of him saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm working within you. I'm present with you to accomplish the things that I've called you to do. What that means for us is that we should pray and ask him, God, rouse my spirit. I want to live with focus on you, so rouse my spirit to do what you've given me. It means we should pray that for one another. Lord, rouse the spirits of the people in our church to do what you've called us to do, to be who you've called us to be, to seek your kingdom. Rouse the spirit. Don't leave us to our own efforts and our own devices, but rouse our spirits to rebuild, to focus on what you've called us to. All of us, our building, every day, one swing at a time, we end up in some direction, whether it's intentional or not. We're all building. God wants us to live focused. 
He wants us to be able to have the focus that he has for us, and it is easy to get off track. But God wants to lead us to something better. Whether it's been a few months of off track or it's been 16 years, God wants us to be able to rebuild, to refocus on what he has for us. How? We let his word speak to us, show us, remind us, and we respond. We respond to him and what he's called us to do. We're going to take communion in just a moment. If you didn't get a communion cup, they're in the back. You can grab them. When we take communion, we're remembering who Jesus is and what what he has done. See, let me just go back to the temple for a second. Why, Why so much energy that God wanted them to rebuild the temple? It wasn't just a building. The temple was the place that reminded people of who God was and what he's done for them. The temple was the place that God wanted at the center of their life so that they would see, remember that I take away your sin. Remember that I forgive you. Remember that I graciously give you relationship with myself. Remember that I'm in covenant with you. He wanted that to be at the center of their life. He wanted everything that they did and everything that they lived to be revolved around. Look what I've done for you. And not to miss that, not to go on building a life missing everything that the temple represented. When we take communion, we're remembering those same things. That Jesus has paid the sacrifice for us. That's not in a temple anymore. That Jesus has forgiven us. That Jesus has made a covenant with us. That God's presence is with us. We're remembering those same things. He wants that to be at the center of our lives. See, Jesus died the death that we should die. He lived the life we should live. The only life perfectly focused on God. And the forgiveness that he gives to us on the cross for all the ways that we haven't built our life the way he calls us to. The forgiveness for all the ways we haven't prioritized him. When you take communion, you're remembering. He wants at the center of your life the gospel, the good news of what he's done so that then we live with the focus that he has for us, seeking his kingdom first. So as you take a moment and take communion, confess where you need to confess. Think carefully where you need to think carefully. And ask for help to get the lumber or obey the things that God has called you to do. Ask him to rouse your spirit toward what he has called you to. What could happen if we were roused, focused together on what God has for us. These people obeyed when they heard. What would happen? One last thing. We have a fast coming up. We do this every month before Easter. And this week, you'll have an opportunity to sign up for that where we, where we ask God really to think carefully, to help us, to rouse our spirits, to obey what he's called us to do, to spend time praying together, ceasing from some things and increasing our prayer and asking God to work to focus us as a church on what he has for us. So I'll tell you more about that in our newsletter and things like that, but I I want you to see, and this will be connected to the book of Haggai. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you speak to us, that you give us your word, that we're not left alone to figure things out by ourselves, but that you speak to us. And that you are gracious and patient 
continually speaking. Lord, I pray that you would even now rouse our spirits. I pray even now, Lord, that you would help us to think carefully where we have been building other things and left your house in ruins, where we have not sought your kingdom but have sought our kingdom. Would you, Holy Spirit, reveal those things to us and help us to the simplicity of obedience. Thank you that you forgive every sin and that you want at the center of our life to be your presence and your goodness. Thank you that that is your vision for our life. In your name, Jesus. Amen.